0: Yes, my
1: name is Tony Dawson and welcome to Splinters. Oh, gee, there's another one. Just what you don't need on a Christmas night. Yes, Merry Christmas to you all. And hopefully you are recovering from your self-induced food coma. If you've eaten too much and you've drunk yourself into a stupor. But more importantly, hopefully you've spent this Christmas day with people nearest and dearest to you. Time to kick back, relax. Get yourself prepared for the Boxing Day test match tomorrow or the City to Hobart yacht race and you're sick and tired of all of those usual boring old... Christmas night movies that they trot out, Uncle Scrooge's Christmas or whatever it is for the 47th time. Time to have a laugh at the duds, the bums, the losers and the controversial moments of the year in sport in 2018. And I tell you what, sitting down doing the research for this, I couldn't quite believe that there were so many duds and bums that brought themselves into our midst in 2018. We had to do some very serious culling. Uh, myself and my co-harsh judge of the duds and bums of sport in 2018 on this Christmas night. Hello, the Lord
0: Mayor of Leichhardt, Keith Topolsky. Hello, Tony, and uh, Merry Christmas to all of our listeners, regardless of where you are across this big brown planet of ours. What an appropriate pairing we've got for our Christmas night bums and losers, spectacular, dud spectacular. You want to get grumpy, and I think we're probably the two grumpiest members of the bench. (laughs) And what, What an appropriate pairing we've got to go through the losers and the controversies of 2018. Well, let's
1: not waste any more time. You've got a couple on your chest. I've got a couple on mine. I'll let you open the batting first as we look at who we think were the 10 biggest losers to start off with in 2018 in the world of sport. Take it away, Keith. You've got first dibs, first crack of the salve, first suck of the sausage.
0: Well, you did say, well, I actually said that we're the two grumpiest members of the bench. And what, a, what better segue to open with than possibly the grumpiest member of the WTA Tour. I speak of Serena Williams and her meltdown on center court during I think it was the US Open and she just absolutely US Open final absolutely lost her mind and claimed that there was discrimination and unfair treatment and all this sort of thing and at the end of the day it was just the umpire doing his job the umpire didn't do anything wrong it was a farce it was an embarrassment and Serena Williams wanted to talk about being the oppressed the oppressed poor little thing well Serena You've got millions of fans. You've got millions of dollars in the bank. You're married with a kid. If you want to swap lives, put your hand up and I'll I'll, I'll take over from you. Not a problem. I'm more than happy to take your millions of dollars, millions of fans, and marriage with a kid. I'll, I'll swap with you in an instant if you think you're so oh, oppressed. I'll
1: tell you what, uh, settle down there. But look,
0: maybe not the husband element. I'll, I'll take a wife yes, instead.
1: Absolutely not. Please let's let's not go there. Look, the one thing about that U.S. Open final, which was uh, the most controversial match. of of 2018 was that we've already forgotten who'd won the US Open. The Japanese star that won her first ever Grand Slam title was embarrassed to accept the award probably because she was drowned out by the booze of the pro Serena Williams crowd. She has form on the board you go back to the US Open final that Sam Stozer won against her in 2011 when she Mm -hmm. threatened to kill a line judge and looked at a line judge straight in the face and said I will kill you. She was being thrashed in this US Open final and and she played the oldest trick in the book. Yep. If you're getting beaten, start a stink. It worked for Wally Lewis all those years ago in State of Origin. It didn't work for Serena Williams in the US Open final this year at Flushing Meadow, and we all
0: know the rest. That's exactly right, and you, you can't help but feel really for those that that deserve their moment of glory in the spotlight, but really have it taken over by controversy. And speaking of moments in the spotlight, you want to talk about someone or something in the spotlight at the moment. I think we can do worse than your first choice. Ah,
1: well, my first choice or one of them, you can't look much further than the Australian Rugby Union and the Code of Rugby Union in general. We've waxed lyrical about it on so many occasions. The latest development is that Michael Checker has kept his job in a Clayton's de facto way with an overseer looking over his shoulder in Scott Johnson. Very experienced guy, Scott Johnson. He's coached on both sides of the the equator at a high level. But to basically tell Michael Checker that he's not good enough to be given the, the Wallabies job, holus holes, bolus and a full complete package and for someone to look over him is basically saying, you know what Michael, we can't find anyone else before the Rugby Union World Cup next year at short notice. You've got the job but you're out the door no matter whether Australia make the final get bundled out in the quarters or even don't even get out of the group. I still think they're going to have a half decent World Cup if they can beat Wales in that group game but to have Michael Checker placed under such strain, just go has to show that from the top down including Raylene Castle including the board of directors that Australian Rugby Union administration like a lot of sports administration which we're going to touch on later in the hour has lost the plot totally and completely because they fell asleep at the wheel in Rugby Union's case after John O'Neill gave them a bucket load of cash and a great wallaby team at the back end of the, 20, of the 2003 Rugby Union World Cup which was hosted in Australia. Since then it's gone one way. South into the toilet
0: seat. Speaking of going south, the reputation of a certain National Rugby League halfback took quite a hammering this season, although he did head north for greener pastures. I speak of Mitchell Pearce now. But you've never I've, liked Mitchell Pearce. I've, yeah, I've never, never been liked on, I've never been on board with Mitchell Pearce. And you can say, oh, but he's won a premiership. But let's face it, James Maloney carried the Roosters that day to the win over Manly back in 2013. And now... And he was in- injured for most of the year before he got a chance to show where's at Newcastle. That's true, but if you're looking for vindication of what the problem was at the Roosters in terms of taking that last step, it's very difficult to defend Mitchell Pearce when he leaves for Newcastle. And yeah, the Knights did pretty well. Although I I thought they were going to make the finals before he arrived, and then he got injured, and that we can go into the ins and outs of Newcastle. But Mitchell Pearce leaves the Roosters, in comes Cooper Cronk, and that they were the classic slow boil. They never went into a slump. They started slow and just kept building and building and building. And if you want a vindication of how much better the Roosters were with Cooper Cronk than with Mitchell Pearce, Cooper Cronk guided the Roosters to a 15-point win with one arm over the Melbourne Storm in the decider. That is pretty damning of Mitchell Pearce.
1: Look, I think Trent Robinson had a big role to play. I think you've been a bit harsh. As much as I've bagged Mitchell Pearce for not being able to cut the mustard at origin level myself in the past, look, I think it's a bit harsh. We'll see. Let's see this time next year let's see in 12 months time a if newcastle make the finals v if they make headway in the finals and C, whether pierce can get a full year injury fee free and fully fit maybe injury with a fee as well who knows as to whether that criticism is justified again he certainly got a point to prove and yes the way he left the roosters was very much akin to a bat and ball being put under the arm and going away and having a sook in the corner Which has been following Mitchell Pearce in some aspects of his life in the past, but I'll leave you with that. Let's get on to speaking of harsh, fishing of harsh. Well, look, I don't think I'm being harsh here. We've discussed you and I, and we've developed our reputation as uh, you know the the grumpy old men, the Walter Matow and Jack Lemon of the Triple H sporting crew over the last twelve or eighteen months. When it comes to referees, and if you really think out there that we weren't going to not let the opportunity pass you by without mentioning duds, bums and clusters when it comes to refereeing, well you're sadly mistaken you could not, for the life of me ignore the magnificent performances, in fact I'm standing up right now, HG Nelson style with my strides down let me tell you,
0: it's not it's not pretty
1: uh, look, just as well I'm wearing a good pair of bonds, let me tell you uh, Martin Jones, the mug and the polystyrene cup that you call him and Damian Brady deserve Brady deserves special mention in our duds and bums of 2018. Uh, Martin Jones for somehow coming up with a magnificent 23 penalty performance in Asquith's 54-14 win over the Blacktown Workers in the qualifying final the Sydney Shield at St Mary's League Stadium. I still cannot fathom to this day and I will never fathom to the day I die even though I called that game how the hell a man could come up with 23, 24 penalties or whatever it was, or 25. Now I think it was 25, it was 13-12 the count to Asquith. Not only to come up with 25 penalties in a 54-14 game, but to have them split down the centre. I just cannot work that out. It does my head in. And then you come to Damian Brady, and he deserves another extra special clap for robbing the Glee Burwood Wolves of a possible shot at the Rod Massey Cup Premiership with a decision which bordered on error at law in the closing stages of the Ron Massey Cup first preliminary final at Leichardt Oval in week three of the final series. Even Ryan Selvage of the New South Wales Rugby League Media Department called the incident with two and a half minutes to go a pass rather than a steal. From the penalty set, we all know what happened. I will never forget for as long as I live, Nike Aaron Zammett, the Glee Burwood coach, bordering on tears off air in our broadcast Box fuming and wondering what might have been stating that that decision could have cost Glebe Burwood a shot at taking their place in the competition next year. We understand that's not going to be the case now that Glee Burwood will come back but their shot at a comp was destroyed in one foul swoop by that dud decision.
0: And we we talk about the dud decisions of the referees, but you really have to consider exactly where the referees went and how they got here. And that leads me to my next dud, and that is the guy that was effectively punted by the new the new deputy of the of the NRL in Graham Annesley. And I speak of Tony Archer. He has destroyed refereeing in in concert with his mate Bernard Sutton. They have destroyed refereeing from the top down. The grassroots is suffering. And from because, the bottom up. Because of the incompetence of Tony Archer from the bottom up and from the top down. It's a nasty sandwich. It's one of those sandwiches that we won't mention the name of, but it's got a very nasty, smelly filling. And Tony Archer has now been moved into an overall game development role. He is the dud of 2018. Not just because he got sacked justifiably. He's, but dud. Because, He's dud. But because of what he has done to refereeing over a long period of time.
1: Well, listen, I'm voting Brady and Jones, your vote. Archer. Speaking of those sandwiches with that very foul filling, you could not mention losers, duds, controversy in 2018 without leaving aside perhaps the one thing, the one incident, the one blow up that this year will be remembered for, I'm afraid, in all of Australian sport. Cape Town, third test match, Australia versus South Africa, March 2018. And the undignified sight of an Australian test cricketer trying to shove a piece of sandpaper down his pants when caught red-handed in the act. And then the fallout that followed. Every Tom, Dick and Harry involved in cricket, not involved in cricket, people in the street. You can only have to see the reaction, many and varied around the world to the events of that test match, to know and to understand that you could not leave, unfortunately, Stephen Smith, David Warner and Cameron Bancroft out of such a discussion like we're having right now without mentioning their names in it. It's been beaten to death already. Hopefully we don't talk about those three guys in the same breath in 12 months time.
0: Speaking of someone who wasn't doing much talking, the great lo- one of the great losers of 2018 in terms of I mean, the way I think you've been a bit harsh here. Finished, the way things finished. It wasn't the fact that things finished, but the way they finished. I speak of Mr. 96 seconds, Mr. Oh, the mouth, Anthony Mundine. And you can talk about the sort of career he's had and whether the criticism is deserved or not, but to be going out in your final bout and to be knocked out in 96 seconds, I think is what makes ...makes him one of the losers of 2018. Not his, his overall career. 43 years
1: of age. He's 43 years of age and he opened himself up to a beating to get one more last payday out of Jeff Horn, knowing that he was going to be at a disadvantage having to drop down in weight and Jeff Horn was going to go up in weight for a catchweight
0: fight. And this is what he's going to be remembered for, which is why I think he makes our list.
1: Let's not take away anything from his career, whether you like him or hate him. He's one of the most polarising figures in Australian sport in the last 35, 40 years. Make no mistake about that. Um, at least everyone loved his father. Not everyone loved Anthony, the man Mundine. But I think his career will be appreciated more in future years, but not exactly right now. Speaking of someone whose career will probably be appreciated more in future years, we look overseas and we start to look at results on the field. Because when it boils down to it, sporting events have winners and losers, especially in the big games that matter, in the big tournaments that matter, and in the big worldwide events that matter. Yes, we can look at the grand slams of tennis and we look at Federer's 20th win and we look at Serena spitting her dummy and losing the US Women's Open final etc etc but for mine one of the great international losers 2018 you have to go back nearly 12 months to Super Bowl 52 Tom Brady the New England Patriots going in as almost unbackable odds on favourites to win yet another Super Bowl Bill Belichick the dynasty that they've created and The Philadelphia Eagles, on the other hand, the ragtag bunch of misfits that managed to get a good winning record together and home-field advantage through the playoffs, but people were waiting for the bubble to burst. But on Super Bowl Sunday, the Philadelphia Eagles, in one of the most extraordinary, highest-scoring games of all time, did the business and sent Tom Brady home, a rare loser, and sent Bill Belichick home, a rare loser, and sent the New England Patriots home, rare losers. I tell you what, I know you don't follow... Too much. I'm getting fired up now. Here, the microphone's jagging around all over the place. I tell you what. I know you don't uh, follow NFL as much as you do NHL, Keith. But mm. everyone in American sport certainly had an opinion and still has an opinion on Tom Brady with the with a gorgeous model wife and Giselle Bundchen and the and the magical three kids and the and the big dollars and everything else in modern day America. There weren't too many tears for Tom Brady and the New England Patriots when they lost Super Bowl 52, particularly when, as we're about to hear, Jason Kelchy went nuts in that speech, which will live forever in Super Bowl folklore on the steps of uh, the Philadelphia Town Hall.
2: Philadelphia! You love the Eagles, let me get a hell yeah! You love the Philadelphia Eagles, let me get a hell yeah! I'm going to take a second to talk to you about underdogs. I know Lane and Chris just talked about this, but I don't think that it's been beat home enough. Howie Roseman, a few years ago, was relinquished of all control, pretty much, in this organization. He was put in the side, hey, hey! He was put in the side of the building where I didn't see him for over a year. Two years ago, when they made a decision, he came out of there a different man. He came out of there with a purpose and a drive to make this possible. And I saw a different Howie Roseman, an underdog, Doug Peterson. When Doug Peterson was hired, he was rated as the worst coaching hire by a lot of freaking analysts out there in the media. This past offseason, some clown named Mike Lombardi told him that he was the least qualified head coach in the NFL. A man who went for it up fourth and down. Went for it up fourth and down in the Super Bowl with the trick play. He wasn't playing for a... He wasn't playing just to go mediocre. He's playing for a Super Bowl. And it don't stop with him. It does not stop with him. Jason Beard is was told he was too old. Didn't have it anymore. Before he got hurt, he was the best freaking tackle in the NFL. Stephen Wisniewski ain't good enough. Jason Kelsey's too small. Late Johnson can't lay off the juice. Brandon Brooks has anxiety. Carson Wentz didn't go to an Division One school. Nick Foles don't got it. Corey Clement's too slow. The at play, ain't got it anymore. Jay Ajay can't stay healthy. Torrey Smith can't catch. Nelson Aguilar can't catch. Zach Gers can't block. Brent Selleck's too old. Brandon Graham was drafted too high. Vinny Curry ain't got it. Mo Allen can't fit the scheme. Michael Cuffins can't fit the scheme. Nigel Bradham can't catch. Jayla Mills can't cover. underdogs. And you know what underdogs is? It's a hungry dog. And Jeff Stalin has had this in our building for five years. It's a quote in the O-line room that has stood on the wall for the last five years. Hungry dogs run faster. And that's this team. Bottom line is, we wanted it more. All the players, all the coaches, the front office, Jeffrey Lurie, everybody wanted it more. And that's why we're up here today, and that's why we're the first team in Eagles history to hold that freaking trophy. And you know who the biggest underdog is? It's y'all, Philadelphia. For 52 years, y'all have been waiting for this. You wanna talk about underdog? You wanna talk about a hungry dog? For 52 years, you've been starved in this championship! Everybody wonders why we're so mean. Everybody wonders why the Philadelphia Eagles aren't the nicest fans. If I don't eat breakfast, I'm f***ing pissed off. No one wanted us. No one liked this team. No analysts like this team to win the Super Bowl, and nobody likes our fans. And you know what i've just heard one of the best chants this past day and it's one of my favorite and it's new and i hope you all learn it because i'm about to drop it right now you know what i gotta say to all those people that doubted us to all those people that got us out and to everybody who said that we couldn't get it done what my man jay Ajay just said
0: yeah, that was uh, quite a serve from Jason Kelce uh, letting rip on... Uh, anyone! And on everyone! anyone he could get his hands on, really. But y- you're right, Tom, Tom Brady, he-, he stands on this pedestal and... And he'll be remembered as one of the all-time greats. He is one of the all-time greats based on results, if nothing else. But at the end of the day, it's almost similar to the Melbourne Storm. They stand on this pedestal, and you know that they do what it takes to win. And they will do anything that it takes to win. And they have to carry their losses as well. And, yes, you're right. They have to carry the losses. And when they do, it's particularly vicious and brutal. And we saw that in 2008. And we saw that during the salary cap fair. And we saw that when the Sharks won. And we saw it... uh, last year with the Roosters and this is what the Patriots are going through.
1: Indeed, but look, it hasn't turned them around too much, although they are going to make the playoffs again. They've lost three games on the road as uh, this... Edition went to to air and they'll be playing playoffs, but perhaps they've come back to the field. Speaking of coming back to the field, the greatest sporting event in the world in 2018, or the two of them we've covered off, or we'll cover off on one in the next part of the program, the Winter Olympic Games in Pyeongchang, South Korea, but 2018 as a World Cup, a FIFA World Cup finals year, the world stops generally speaking, for those four weeks, every June and July, every four years, to work out who are the kings of the round ball game. And yes, congratulations to to France, who beat Croatia in the final. But this World Cup will be remembered for the uh, dethroning and the coming back to the field and the falling from grace of two of world
0: football's great powers two favourites to go on and win everything. Of course, Spain had a miserable, miserable tournament. They didn't know whether they were coming or going and players were all over the place. That They were spoken of without question as the frontrunner to win it. And the only people who were game to challenge the narrative of Spain going on to win the title were those who were backing Germany to take everything out and the Germans are renowned as one of the best drilled and fittest teams and have been for going on three decades. Maybe a generation maybe two. It's skill and fitness that they have always prided themselves on.
1: Going back to when they laid an egg
0: in twenty ten at the
1: Euros mm. And uh, the DFB, the German Football Federation, got together with the Bundesliga, they laid out a plan, and they won a World Cup within 10 years. That was the, the nucleus of the team that just went to this World Cup, and people still had the memories of that demolition of Brazil in Rio Grande in, tw- in the 2014 hmm. semi-final. Well, Germany got their comeuppance in this World Cup, with that ageing side going a, perhaps a
0: tournament too far definitely a tournament too far but at the end of the day if you want people indulging in Sheldon Freud well 73 years this has been oh, something geez. and it's it's never going you can't, away so you can't stop don't mention that the war up. but yeah, but you know you've, what? Just, mentioned we, we, we you've just mentioned it. We enjoyed it very much, those of us of my it. descent.
1: You've just mentioned it, all right? Well, listen, if you're going to go down that path and shout and Freud and shout and Scheisenhausen or whatever it is, you can't not round out the great losers of 2018 without looking at home and the great big events on the home front, the NRL and AFL Grand Finals. And you've just mentioned one of them, the Melbourne Storm. I tipped them to win the NRL Grand Final, but... Uh, they came up well and truly short. Billy Slater went out of the game a loser, perhaps in a way unfairly, but for mine, perhaps in a way fairly for some of the things he's done over the years. But for mine, Collingwood losing the AFL grand final oh, no, the no, no, way no, no, they
0: no. did. Not, not Collingwood, Eddie McGuire. Well, we'll
1: come to that no, separately, but Collingwood on the field led led for all bar Three minutes of that AFL Grand Final. Yep. The first two minutes and the last minute. And to see the look on Edward Maguire's face of of, uh, of uh, Broadmeadows, who now hasn't been to Broadmeadows for at least 25 years, uh, and to see that look on uh, his face as uh, he got up to storm out of the Melbourne cricket ground when the siren went, I think for a lot of people around Australia, was like the MasterCard moment.
0: Absolutely priceless. For everything else... There's an Eddie Maguire storm out and Collingwood, they are the manly of the AFL. Everybody's team that they love to hate. Everybody cheers for two teams, their own and whoever's playing Collingwood. And Collingwood have a history in Grand Finals of falling short. The Wobbles, they call it. But you're right, they led all day. And I can remember the day the quite well. won two in 60 years with about eight losses. That's right. I can remember the day well. I was in, in the city and I was attending a concert. And I'm sitting on my phone, just refreshing, refreshing. And West Coast, they got ever closer, ever closer. And then, bang, they were in front. And the concert was actually held up while we waited for the, the, the game to finish. So everybody would hop off their phone. And eventually it did. And the the comedian I was seeing, and Jeff can, Dunham, actually can, thanked people for hopping off their phone and he waited for us. And I can bet you there was a cheer very loud, even though it was, what, 800
1: kilometres or 1,000 kilometres away when that final siren went and the West Coast Eagles won the Premiership. There were. Indeed. All right. Jeez, we've had so much fun. Time has flown. It's time we take a break. Take a breather because we've still got a heck of a lot to get through in the the next half of this program, because there are incidents and issues and more duds to expose, more bums to be aired in in public, more dirty linen and more dirty washing to go over in the year that was 2018, duds, bums and clusters, right here on Splitters. right after this. Oh, jeez. God damn it. There's another one. That's a nasty reminder that Santa has left uh, under my Christmas tree this year because he knows I haven't been the best man in the world. Well, anyway, well, I won't say stuff you, Santa, but anyway, look. Uh, welcome back to this Christmas night special edition of Splinters, Duds, Bums, Clusters, Losers, the worst of 2018 in the world of sport. Hopefully, you're enjoying it and having a bit of a laugh on your Christmas night when you're recovering from your
0: self induced food coma. If you put on 15 kilos and grew a beard, you can almost pass as up.
1: Yeah, and that makes two of us. Nice to know I'm learning from the best. All right, (laughs) let's get down, uh, because you're leading the way there. Let's get back to it now. We've discussed some of the the losers when it comes to individuals and teams and and, uh, results on the field, but the politics of sport off the park, in the boardrooms, the journalists... Uh, uh, havens and the newsrooms, the sports newsrooms around the world is just as dirty, grubby, filthy, and full of that lovely filling sandwich that we mentioned of earlier. And I'm going to open the batting on this one. I don't care about uh, you, Keith, but I'm going to open the batting on this one. We want to talk about incidents and issues that red their ugly head and made everyone cringe with absolute Disgust in 2018 in sport, you can't look much further than technology with refereeing and sports officiating. It's the classic case of trying to please everyone and pleasing no one. It's meant well, it's got good intentions, it works in some sports, works in tennis, generally works well in cricket. But by God, Father, VAR and the A-League and the bunker and the NRL are prime cases of technology gone absolutely haywire, not working properly, not being used efficiently, not being used effectively, and screwing up on the field. You've only got to look at two matches in particular. Sydney Derby number one at the Sydney Cricket Ground which led to the Western Sydney Wanderers coach going
0: ballistic. You want to talk dummy spits. That's almost another addition, isn't it? And then the night at Shark Park. In, in terms of the video reviewing, you're right. And and we can talk about the VAR and we can talk in the Sydney Derby and we can talk about the night at Shark Park. Everybody start everybody's and already forgetting the millions of dollars those. that have been spent on this technology. And the fact that the VAR is Widely spoken about in soccer circles as having decided the last A League grand final as well between Newcastle yep. and the Melbourne victory. Yep. So in in terms of technology playing a role in sports officiating this year, I think this is the year at least in Australia where we have looked at sports technology and referees technology. And you know what and said, we've done? We say no more.
1: Speaking of the A League, I know you've got your opinions on this as far as problems with the game and issues of note, well look, the A-League has its issues at the moment, I think a lot of them come back to the problems with their governance, which they finally sorted out when Stephen May was dragged kicking and screaming away from the board of the FFA at that extraordinary AGM and, you know, your mate Nogarotto and your other mate Conroy <laughs> managed to get on the board of the FFA, but that's another story for another time and another Splinters episode uh, but the A-League, trying to get on the front foot, announcing their Two-part expansion over the next two years, Western Melbourne next year, MacArthur Southwest coming in in 2021 to eventually get to a 12-team competition by that stage. Is that going to be enough to stop this apparent or perceived slump that the A-League is going through right now?
0: My my concern for the A-League is that not, not only has it been mismanaged and been taken over by political infighting by the clubs, but then you've also got the Big Bash League, and the BBL has really taken over the Christmas New Year period as the sporting event to be at, probably even usurping Test cricket. You're really going to have to hope that Heather Reid, who got on the board as the women's representative of the women's game, not just because she's a woman, but she represents the women's game, that's a step forward. You really have to hope that she takes the reins here, because if she she doesn't I can see the A-League, and Soccer in general at the highest levels really hitting a wall.
1: Is the end result going to be the A-League going their own way and being an independent body running the competition at arm's length from the FFA and the FFA stepping away from the A-League running
0: day to day? We've seen it with the EPL.
1: Speaking of breaking away and not playing their part, you've got the next item in the issues that came up in 2018. And look, whilst the Winter Olympics were generally a success, Uh, The North Koreans kept their uh, bombs and their guns at home whilst the South Koreans in Pyeongchang had the celebrations and even a few North Koreans turned up and participated. One of the major disappointments of the Winter Olympic Games is something you're going to touch on now as a NHL tragic. The Winter Olympic Games, miracle on ice, has always had since then NHL stars putting country over club. Sadly,
0: it didn't happen this time around and I think the Winter Olympics lost a lot of gloss as a result. The Winter Olympics was poorer for the NHL players not going. This was something that the Players Association worked very hard on with the National Hockey League. You can't pin the blame on the players. You can't blame the NHL for it. The blame you sure about
1: that? I mean, the blame
0: rests with the IOC because the IOC were the ones that turned around to the NHL in a money grab and said, "We're not paying the insurance this time round. You have to pay the players' insurance because we're too poor." Now I'm sorry. This is the IOC. This is the IOC, and we know how filthy. Reached the IOCs. Now Gary Bettman yes he could have rolled over and said yeah we're going to pay the insurance but what competition is going to pay insurance for its players to go and play in another competition particularly in a sport as physical as ice hockey where it doesn't take much to be ruled out for a long period of time with an injury. It takes a special brand of incompetence to make ice hockey fans and NHL fans in particular feel sympathy for Gary Bettman one of the most loathed figures in the history of the NHL but the IOC they achieved it And kudos to them. And now there's going to be a real drama trying to get the NHL to Beijing in 2022.
1: Well, time will tell there. There's got to be some backing down and there's got to be some compromise there. Speaking of compromise, we're going to come to the next issue that was a silent issue. But for those that followed things very carefully, they would have seen that rare its ugly head very, very quickly. Of course, as we all know by now, watching Test Cricket in Australia for the first time in over four decades and that's about two or three generations whichever way you count it is no longer on on channel nine Richie is gone so is Tony Gregg and a lot of the others have disappeared some have made their way into other media others have been put on the shelf but at the end of the day the home of cricket is no more the home of cricket channel nine it's now been taken over the broadcasting that is by a mix of Foxtel and the Seven Network in this much trumped billion dollar deal, which I'll cover off in another point in a minute. But the losers and the issues, you want to talk the losers of 2018? The losers of 2018, one of the greatest group of losers was the Australian cricket public itself. Because when the one day is against South Africa that were played in November as the filler before the current Australia-India Test Series, and the T20s between South Africa and India that preceded the tests were played in the last six weeks. People were scrambling around trying to find out, oh, okay, the one days are on, uh, what channel's it on? It's not on? They're on Foxtel? What? I have to pay? What? What's going on here? Well, guess what? If you read the fine print, good people, of the billion-dollar television deal that was announced in April in the darkness and the quiet of the off-season, and... James Sutherland. When they announced the deal, there was a little point that was sort of glossed over except for Ross Greenwood from Channel 9 asking the question at the press conference when the rights were announced. And that is the blatant, diabolical ignorance and thumbing of the nose to the anti-siphoning list that the federal government has given and has put in place so that major national sports events can be watched by as many people as possible on free-to-air television. On that list, it's still, you can look it up. You go into the uh, ACMA uh, uh, papers and you look at the anti-siphoning list and your various internet searches and you can see one-day international cricket matches played in Australia still sits on that anti-siphoning list. So technically speaking, to the letter of the Broadcast Act, the free-to-air rights for one-day international matches involving Australia being played in Australia should still be held and still be broadcast on free-to-air television. That didn't happen this time around. It won't happen in January when Australia and India play three more one-day internationals. The first one-day international ever was broadcast on the ABC in January 1971. For the first time in 47 and a half years, A one-day international involving the Australian cricket team at home was not on free-to-air television. That is a disgrace. And when Ross Greenwood asked the question at the press conference, Tim Wharton dodged bullets and James Sutherland said, Ah, look, it will be watched by as many people as possible. We'll ensure that. Oh, well, let's forget the fact that there was a quite $30 million payment made to Foxtel by the federal government shortly before these rights were announced. I think someone will write a story about that and make a heck of a lot of money one day about the backdoor dealings, which meant that the Australian cricket public lost out. And don't forget, this is year one of a six-year deal. We're going to very rapidly go down the path of what happened in England after the 2005 Ashes series when... All international cricket involving England went holus bolus in a package to pay television and the game of cricket has lost its public
0: focus ever since. Cricket Australia are going to be running the risk of doing that over the next five years. Could not agree more. Speaking of disappointments and the way things have unfolded, In recent times, I want to touch on something that was very frustrating for you and for me as well, given that it it affected some of the work that I was doing voluntarily throughout the rugby league season. And that was the fading away and the disappearance in the Ron Massey Cup and the Sydney Shield of the Penrith Brothers Club. Well, let's
1: backtrack on that because this is something closer to our heart now. We've tried to establish ourselves as one of the few community radio outlets, in fact, one of the few radio outlets that cover the Ron Massey Cup and the Sydney Shield on a regular week-by-week basis throughout the season. Um, Hawkesbury Radio do it, generally speaking, week-by-week. Week. They shared the frustration as well because Penrith Brothers is much closer to their base than it is ours. And some of the other community radio stations, well, they do their best, but they're only interested in the New South Wales Cup and the interest Super Premiership. They couldn't give a damn about the Ron Massey and Sydney Shield, unless it comes to grand finals. But we cover it week in, week out. And when the Penrith brothers announced, yep, we're coming in, we thought, great, OK, someone original, someone new, someone other than St Mary's or Windsor or or Wentworthville with the backing of a reasonably sized, you know, decent sports club, the uh, the Hills Sports Club that's based out at Penrith. Yes, they had fairly rudimentary facilities at uh, at, at their home ground at uh, um uh, at, at the edge Hickey's of, at Hickey's Lane at the edge of uh, the Penrith CBD um and they came in with a fair pedigree in 2017 they were unbeaten in the Penrith a grade competition before they went down to St Clair in the grand Finals oh. they' only lost for the season and uh, I did have question marks though that they didn't have any major signings they didn't sign any major players of any real note. There are a couple that had played a bit of Super League, a bit of Northern Ford Premiership, as it was called in the old days, and uh, a little bit of Ron Massey at other clubs. But they primarily went into this season in both Ron Massey Cup and Sydney Shield with the same squad that made the Penrith A-grade Grand Final. And in the end, they found it too hard. They became the next piece of roadkill on the road of many clubs that have tried to go straight up from A-grade to Ron Massey and Sydney Shield and have found the jump too great. Asquith, case in point. Mm. They won the last Manly North's A-grade grand final, as I call it, the last decent Manly North's A-grade grand final when the best players were playing in 2012 and jumped straight in to the Ron Massey Cup and Sydney Shield in 2013 and found that the players that they had, whilst they were good, weren't quite good enough. They needed to top up their depth. They also needed to uh, change their coach. They needed to change Paul Pollard because his coaching style had passed him by as far as making inroads at Ron Massey Cup and Sydney Shield level was concerned. Mm-hmm. They made a coaching change, they got extra players, they brought in good players under Simon Clark in twenty fourteen. And quite frankly, they haven't looked back ever since. They've made they've been regulars, semi-regulars in finals. They made a Ron Massey Cup grand final. They made it they've made Sydney Shield preliminary finals since. They learnt that lesson. Unfortunately, with Penrith Brothers they qualify as one of the biggest issues of 2018 because they didn't learn that lesson. They forfeited the last six weeks at the Sydney Shield. And in the end, we now know that they're not coming back into the Ron Massey Cup and Sydney Shield in 2019 and beyond. And they're going back to the Penrith A grade with their tails very much between their legs and chastened for the
0: experience. And being chastened was not the only... Penrith Brothers, I should say, were not the only rugby league story featuring a chastening uh, in 2018. And I speak of the three-course meal. The three-course meal that was the rugby league coaching carousel. You had the entree. Oh, yes. You had the entree yes. How with, can you not? With, well, with the the well, the the entree
1: was soul-selling. The entree is a three-course meal. Look, and it's a good segue into, into yes, the coaching fast, the coaching merry-go-round, the musical chairs with a bit of striptease music in the background as well. I don't know, throw in what you like. But the hors d'oeuvre had to be your mob, I'm afraid, Mm -hmm. Keith. Yep. And to think that was the entree. It was, it it was. It turned out to be the entree. We thought, oh my God, what's happening here at the time? But it was nothing compared to what was to come later in the year. But Ivan Cleary, Philip Ronald Gould, your favourite man in rugby league. Um, uh, Anthony Griffin, who has ended up, on the payroll of the New South Wales Waratahs now, mm. Anthony Griffin, um, on the back of a consultancy, and he might do well there. And Cameron Serralda, who was left as the patsy and the dummy and mm-hmm. the fall guy and the uh, the caretaker uh, through all of this, it was inevitable that Ivan is going to end up at the Panthers to coach his little son, Nathan, in 2019 and beyond, because that was Philip Ronald Gould's plan all the way along. He can deny till the cows come home, and he can say that he wasn't involved, but the whole scenario over that nine-month period from the time that Gould stepped in and sacked Anthony Griffin had his name all over it. That was the entree, though. That was the entree to what was to follow. When you want to talk about farces, you want to talk about grown men acting petulantly? You want to talk about grudges? You want to talk about chips on shoulders the size of Airs rot? Look no further than Wayne Happy Joe, Happy Bennett and Anthony the Kid Seabold South's Brisbane. Wayne Bennett carrying a grudge over the way he was dumped at Brisbane 10 years ago and waiting 10 years for payback, waiting to pay News Limited back for 10 years of a grudge for the way he was dumped at Brisbane in 2008, the mere fact that Wayne Bennett would hide in the backseat of a car from journalists and cover himself up like a criminal, and then, not even tell the Brisbane Broncos he was finishing up, he actually rang and emailed the CEO of News Limited in the ultimate bird display of 2018.
0: And then we get to the dessert, which was Trent Barrett and Dez Hasler at Manly. Yes! Goodness me! And what a... (sighs) what a, what a
1: uh, dessert that was and that's been beaten to death as well you know as we speak Trent Barrett is still the coach of Manly and so is Des Hasler there are still two coaches at Manly Trent Barrett hasn't been paid out he's entitled to walk into that shack of a complex at Narrabeen at any time and say guess what fellas I'm the coach I don't know the only thing that's missing there, if you start in January, is a greyish haired, white haired guy like myself with glasses and a bunch of Yanks shouting, Jerry, 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 <laughs> Jerry, 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 as Hasler and Barrett fight it out for the coaching job.
0: Speaking of trying to figure things out and exactly what went wrong, I think we can go back to the Winter Olympics once more and. The, the tragedy of performance, I suppose, if you want to say, of the United States. Now, the U.S. came into the, or went into the Winter Olympics, I should say, with very, very high hopes. And they fell away. Now, in Canada, they count the medal tally based on gross number of medals. Yes. As opposed to us, who count it by the number of gold medals. So, but no on... matter what else you win, mm-hmm. gold is what counts.
1: But, but on, on both counts... On both counts, Canada finished in front of the United States for the first time in living memory on a Winter Olympics medals tally. Canada won more golds and Canada won more medals. And for good measure, Norway Norway, and Germany trumped both Canada and the United States. Norway and Germany finished with equal number of golds and Norway were placed on top because they won more medals. Canada finished third and the United States... A long way from the glory of 1980, finished fourth on the medals tally in their lowest position
0: at a Winter Olympics in decades. And there is a country that we're missing there, because that country, although the athletes might have been permitted to participate, that country wasn't there.
1: Some of their athletes were. And of course, we talk about the Russian doping scandal. You want to talk about clusters and politics and whatnot? Well, someone's got to make a book one day if Vladimir Putin doesn't get to them first over what really has gone on, is still going on in Russian sports, swapping of, of doping samples and swapping of swabs and swapping of blood tests to try and dodge the, the drug testers at WADA. So if it wasn't bad enough for Russia to go into the Winter Olympic Games with their athletes the supposed clean ones competing as independent athletes who happen to live in Russia with no Russian flag, just
0: Olympic athletes from Russia. Olympic
1: Olympic athletes from Russia, correct. So if they'd won medals, they won gold, the Olympic theme, that silly Greek theme would have been played. If that wasn't bad enough, well, once again, I'm doing it again, unfortunately. I've dropped the strides here. Nadezda Nadezda Segeva and Alexander Krushelnitsky were actually caught during oh, during the Pyeongchang Winter Olympic Games for testing positives to oh, drugs. Jesus. Alexander Krushelnitsky is a curler, you know, the bloke with the broom, with the, with the with the glorified bowls across ice. Now, how in the name of goodness knows what would if would taking substances help you push a broom up and down an ice-filled floor, God only knows. There's still a question mark over Russia's appearance in future Olympics because
0: the rest of the Mm -hmm. world is still not convinced they are clean. That's right. But no question about the the cleanliness of the Commonwealth Games. And... Unfortunately, we came across two really disappointing results and it was a re- it's been a really rough twelve months for New Zealand. We saw them bail out of the Rugby League World Cup, but in the Commonwealth well, Games... thank God,
1: thank God for their rugby union side, but even
0: yeah. they're coming back to the field yep. which we'll come to in a minute. but in the Commonwealth Games, Australia went down in the gold medal game not to New Zealand, not to South Africa but to England. And then you have an Australian coach but
1: just quietly they have an Australian
0: coach in England and they've Really wound themselves up. But yes, the. But if you thought that was bad, mm. New Zealand missed out on the bronze medal to Malawi. Malawi. And the gnashing of teeth across the ditch. Remember, New
1: Zealand netball has been neck and neck with Australia for decades, dominating the rest of the world who have finally caught up. But the move by Australia, it must be said, to break up the Australasian ANZ netball championship and. For the Australians to go it alone for their Super Netball competition with their television rights on Channel 9 at the start of 2017, was always going to have an effect, I always thought, on the New Zealand game and the New Zealand f- the silver ferns Absolutely. more than it would have the Australian diamonds. And if you would looked for any proof in that, you only needed to look at the Commonwealth Games and the events that New Zealand, for the first time in decades, and even, I think back then New Zealand finished third or missed in, or got beaten in the semi-finals. but it's around that time was the last time that New Zealand weren't there getting a medal standing on the podium of a major event a World Cup a World Championships a Commonwealth Games they've made uh, drastic changes since they sacked their coach they got in the the winner of the uh, the winning coach of the, uh, uh, the ironically the Sunshine Coast side that won the Australian Super Netball competition she's um, absolutely uh, cut a swathe in the recent coaching the training camp for the World Championships next year will they come back Time will tell. And I think that leaves the daddy of them all to last, I think. The daddy of them all when it comes to issues and incidents and clusters and duds and bums for 2018. We touched on it along uh, the lines of Smithwater and Bancroft earlier. But 2018 will forever be remembered in Australian sport as the year that Cricket Australia lost the plot and lost the trust, the confidence and the love of the Australian sporting public. It will be the year forever remembered that the baggy green turned a shade of another colour in a lot of people's eyes. And as I said at the time once, and I'll say it again, the whole cluster started with David Peaver. There was a straight line, a direct correlation of individuals that you had to look at when it comes to what happened with Cricket Australia this year. And I've said it before, and I think on an earlier edition of Splinters or the bench somewhere, but I'll repeat it again one last time. David Peaver employed James Sutherland. James Sutherland employed Pat Howard. Pat Howard employed Darren Lehman. Darren Lehman oversaw Stephen Smith. One by one, each of those five individuals is now no longer holding their positions. And Cricket Australia it paid the price for going with a knee-jerk reaction into the Don Argus report at the back end of the 2010-2011 Ashes series when Australia were beaten by a very good English side that went on to become number one in the world for about a year and a bit. No disgrace in that, but the knee-jerk reaction saw Don Argus from BHP, who was a cricket fan but had no idea of how cricket was run at grassroots level, putting in a report. Each of those recommendations saw Piva Sutherland, Howard, and Lehman appointed to their positions. And the end result was what happened in South Africa and the, the end of the trust the general lay sporting public had in the baggy green. And by God, it's going to take a heck of a long time. It's going to take years, if not decades, for that trust to be won back. It's going to take a lot more than a lot of wins on the field in test matches and in World Cups and in one day internationals and in T20 World Cups. It's going to take a lot of years. For that trust to be won back. So Cricket Australia, and I haven't even touched Ben Amafio. Ben Amafio, the man that wanted cooked breakfasts from his EA, hand delivered to him in his office every morning. No wonder he was frog-marched out of the place, kicking and screaming like a patsy. Goodness gracious me. So that's why Cricket Australia, for mine, get the biggest of 2018, they've got a heck of a lot of work to do to win the trust of the Australian sports fan back. That just about wraps it all up and by gee, we could have gone another hour or
0: two because there are a lot of bums, duds and clusters we left out. Didn't didn't get started on some of the NHL players and teams and we could have gone to basketball and we could have gone deeper into the A-League and uh, and all, all sorts of other sports. But uh, only, we've only got limited time. If you think that Our list is all over the place.
1: If you think we're the biggest clusters of 2018, let us know at our Facebook bench page. The Bench on Facebook. Let us know there of what you think. But for now, you think that uh, that's it for 2018 for the Bench and Splinters? Well, you think we're on. The big sport doesn't stop over Christmas New Year. We don't stop either. We'll be back on Friday night. Matt Mears will be in the chair. I'll be in Melbourne reporting on the Boxing Day test. And then next Tuesday night... We'll cheer you up a bit. We've gone through all the duds and bums of 2018. We're going to go through the winners and the good people and the good guys and the great events of 2018. Jake Aquilina and Dom Chorizo-Rosito come up with a list that will rock your socks off to start 2019, the best Two of 2018. Two
0: splinters debutantes on one show. That's that, a that worry. That could be dangerous.
1: That could be very dangerous. We're going to have to tune in next, tune in next Tuesday night at 8 on HFM.com.au. And 100.1 FM, and then afterwards at podcasts.com. That's right, podcastsplural.com. Until then, have a great new year, stay safe, and we'll see you in 2019 on Splinters.